This is On the Fence Physio, a podcast designed to, one, stimulate intellectual conversation around the nuances of gray topics in physical therapy, two, keep a group of physical therapists and physical therapy students entertained for 30 to 40 minutes, and three, fail to do either of those things. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, do not look here. Please seek out the opinion of a legitimate licensed medical provider. Enjoy. Welcome to a special edition of On the Fence Physio, the CSM 2022 Roundup in San Antonio, Texas. I am your host, Andy Wiseman, joined by my ever gregarious co-host, Matthew Owens. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing wonderful, Andy. Just ate a great meal, had some local whiskey, and um, just feeling uh, feeling good about all the stuff that I've learned and experienced this weekend at TSM 2020. I am a little bit worried about recording with you after a flight of whiskey, but we'll see if we can make it work. <laughs> we can see if we make it work. Anything that is said... Um, that may not be completely correct. I'm blaming on the whiskey. It's like a pre. Is that is that okay? Like a disclaimer. A disclaimer. Disclaimer. <laughs> I've, I've had some good whiskey. Yeah. So that's my disclaimer. Yeah. Um, started off the morning at the uh, orthopedics platform. We do we do like our platforms. You get a lot of lectures. We do. There's a lot and a little bit of time. Lectures. Was there and, six lectures? Yeah. And this uh, orthopedics platform session session six was a uh, a bit of a combo. Half the lectures were about racial inequities in physical therapy services. The other half were about uh, imaging and, uh, and how ready physical therapists are to start ordering or performing imaging. So two issues that you wouldn't necessarily think of pairing up well, but much like peanut butter and pickles, they both go on a sandwich. They both go on a sandwich. Maybe not the same sandwich, but it was the last sandwich. It was the last day. There was only the heels of the bread left, and they got put in it. Uh, I don't know if that is racial inequity, but uh, it might be. Um, but interesting things, looking um, and a healthcare system from Montana. Utah. Utah. Sorry. Are those, di- are those different states? <laughs> there's mountains. Yeah, there's mountains. And a lot of white people. A lot of white people. That's what we saw in the demographics. They were were trying to look at racial disparities in access to healthcare, but their sample size was 91% white in the people that use their healthcare system. So um, my question, you know, obviously was, uh, is that sampling, you know, like indicative of their actual population in Utah? Or is it, you know, because these are the people that use healthcare, Maybe the people who have access to healthcare are more likely to be white. Yeah. What findings across those three platforms were there? Um, the socioeconomic status and use of a translator, right, show um, were correlated with worse physical therapy outcomes or a failure to progress. And uh, the other one that was interesting was they were looking at. Uh, likelihood of following up with a PT referral, right, um, after being referred for PT. And that, there was also gaps there between um, group, you know, co- groups of color and white people getting following up more often. Yeah, the side note on that was one of their 
ways to create more access for patients to be able to schedule their first visit was to be open from 6.30 in the morning till 9.30 at night. Yeah, boy, uh, I wouldn't want to work for that company. That was a... Oh, that would be a deal breaker for me, me. Me doing therapy at 9.30 at night. <laughs> oh, I, I would be, be like, Bridges. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Bridges? What's wrong with you? Bridges. Well, then we, we had a discussion, too, afterwards when I said I knew every single person in my hometown, so or where I work, I should say, um, and I could try to parse out um, race versus just socioeconomic uh, status yeah. for outcomes. Right. So when you're doing these linear regression models, from what I understand is that you can't really, you know, control for race and socioeconomic status like differently because our entire economy legislation, you know, like has, you know, has baked in racism. So it's like all of these things factor into socioeconomic status and all of these things have to do with race. So it's like you can't really pull them apart because you know, generational wealth and, you know, property ownership and the value of your home based on the community you live in, redlining, and all of these things that I am definitely not the expert in. But thankfully, CSM 2022 has contained more programming in these topics sure. and really been, um, I think, making a good effort. I don't, I don't think CSM 2022 has solved uh, systemic racism, but definitely a lot more programming than any previous CSM I've been to and very appreciative of that. So I think APTA is making a good faith effort in uh, putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to, hey, we, we value DEI. And here we're giving um, presenters the opportunity to talk about these topics. So For sure. And then from the imaging, research, presentations, I mean, the big takeaway I had was that um, with imaging rights, it would appear that physical therapists aren't overutilizing them. And then that from a imaging kind of referral or screening, that most physical therapists are doing everything except explicitly writing the referral. Um, so the argument being that physical therapists are making decisions um, correctly, I guess, in, in line with the um, radiographic yeah, recommendations. The, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems like in Wisconsin that utilization is significantly lower. I think the studies that were cited were, you know, like primary care providers were like 30% of like patient contacts and physical therapists was like, it was like 0.02%. It was something like just yeah. really, really but low. But you had a good point in that it shouldn't be per like contact, but maybe per episode of care. Yes. Since in PT, you're going right. to see them. So you'll artificially times, deflate so. your number if you look at, or patient contact because physical therapists are seeing the pa same patient a lot more regularly in a short amount of time, whereas the primary care provider is not. And uh, talking about this issue, issue with my favorite primary care provider, my wife, um, said that, hey, you know, like when a patient is coming to you as a primary care provider, they're coming to you and they need help with, they need education on their diabetes, they need um, medication management, titration of their high blood pressure medication. And they have some like regular screening that needs to be done for the, you know, their health. And after you finally finish all that, then they tell you about their back pain. 
and you don't have time to really counsel them and say like, hey, getting imaging for acute onset of low back pain is not indicated. So therefore, a lot of primary care providers just order the x-rays. It's like, all right, I'm doing something about your back pain because they don't want to break alliance with their patients either because alliance is very important for primary care providers that are trying to get you to take, you know, your blood pressure medication regularly. <laughs> um, so in primary care providers' defense, they may be not always following those guidelines, but it might, that might be not because of their own clinical decision-making, but the pressures of the system that we're in where um, providers are graded off of patient satisfaction scores and um, patients have a misconstrued beliefs about the value of imaging, especially in like low back pain. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other takeaways from that one? Uh, that was the most important thing. Okay. And we made it through the exhibit hall all the way through yesterday. Yep. We went back through um, in between session one and two. And still didn't get a single promoter, but we did didn't find some We found some neat products. things. Yeah, some neat force plates, dynamometers. Nope. Things. We won't say who's, who's nope. they were. We can't say who they were because they didn't give us any, any swag. Yeah. Um, or discount. Or discount. Gosh, yeah, they're expensive. Yeah. yeah if I have a small to... two-peak tea clinic with like a $200 shoestring budget, you know, like $830 a, <laughs> a year a year for uh, renting your dynamometers is like, that's more than you think it is. it is. I do wonder who, at these conferences in general, I love to poll the exhibitors, yeah. like who buys that stuff? Like if they actually get people to buy them if it's like private yeah, practice they probably only need to sell or, one of them and they're all they're yeah <laughs> that's covering yeah, their paychecks so, but there's some neat things some neat things today that we got to play with that we didn't take time yeah to do yesterday running around and then just talking to people too we went and talked with uh hey i think we can plug uh, we talked with csmi you know talking to the uh guys at csmi um who service the biodex and humec norm isokinetic dynamometers because they sponsor PT Inquest, we want to make sure that they, uh, you know, got some recognition, got some clicks, you know, for their uh, putting out some dollars. Maybe they'll uh, realize that they can tap into a whole nother fan base, <laughs> completely separate from <laughs> completely PT Inquest fan base <laughs> with OTF Physio. But um, no, the exhibit hall was uh, definitely a little smaller than the last year. Uh, Athletico didn't have a booth. Didn't have a booth. Second biggest PT company in the country. Didn't know. have a booth. I don't know for that. Are we the second biggest? I don't know. We didn't have a booth though. I did see yeah. a couple Atletico people, but didn't get a didn't uh didn't have a booth, so I had to get my t-shirts from all the other companies. But uh what we didn't have to do in that break was we had to take we had to take some creatine. We had to drink a gallon of water. We had to uh I snorted some <laughs> ammonia and got ready for the second second lecture of what is CrossFit all about? Oh, yeah. A look inside the box. I was ready for my wad. Yeah. And they gave us a wad at the beginning of the session, which I appreciated. It was the only PT session that I was in all weekend, right? all weekend. Where I I had to do some air squats at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the session. And I appreciated that. I feel like there should be some form of physical activity in every PT uh, platform presentation, but that's just my... So my wife also, who does uh, curriculum development and uh, has been to a lot of adult learning, uh, we we should let CSM know that two hours of 
uninterrupted lecture is not the optimal way of delivering information for retention in adult learners. It isn't, but I I did I enjoyed this um, CrossFit. What's it all about? I'm not a CrossFitter myself. I enjoy looking into some of those things. I've read the CrossFit Level One Certification PDF. Haven't taken it. Don't train CrossFit, but do see patients who train CrossFit or CrossFit like activities. They went through the nine fundamental movements of nine CrossFit fundamental movements plus and a the couple four additionals. Yeah, which I would have thought pull-ups would have made it into the nine. Um, I'm glad they didn't. I hate pull-ups. But the pull-ups <laughs> did not. Um, they talked through that. Um, I'll give Andy a minute and a second to go on a soapbox. Um, and then they talked secondly about proper is that, movement. Is that what you use to clean a CrossFit gym? <laughs> a soapbox. Soapbox. <laughs> That's right. Uh, as long as it's a Rogue brand. You rogue know, brand. Jump, jump, jump in a plyo box. Yeah. And then thirdly, talked about how to address some of these uh, common form issues or maybe injury things. So my big takeaways from it were if you improve mobility at the ankle, the knee, and the shoulder, right, you can address most issues. I don't think it was mobility of the knee. Talking or did about I say ankle? I'm sorry, hip. Did I say knee? Sorry, yeah, that's the whiskey knee. talking. Yeah, ankle, hip, and, and shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, and then stability, right, of the lumbar thoracic spine of her yeah. like keeping it in neutral so all that to say andy has some issues yes yeah, it's like yeah. what is neutral andy what do you think about what what triggers you when i say hey andy your form is not correct um uh, you just got to clarify what it's not correct for so when some of these presenters came up they were like these are the forms that we teach Right. And if you are trying to disseminate to me as a physical therapist, these are the forms that CrossFitters are taught. And I'm trying to return a patient to their salient activity, which is CrossFit. I should know the forms they teach because I want to get them back to those forms. Right. That's valuable, important. Please teach me the forms so that I can educate patients so they can return to their activity. Now, one of the presenters kept implying, hey, if you don't do this with this form or you do this with this bad form, that's going to lead to injury. Well, the bad and good and bad would make you get hurt. Yeah, bad would hurt. And, I, and like one of them was lumbar flexion during a deadlift. And there's just so much literature out there right now showing that everybody has to flex their spine to lift something from the ground. There is nobody who has zero lumbar flexion excursion during a deadlift and so it just blows my mind that these are physical therapy researchers and crossfitters but even they have fallen into the trap of like ah lumbar neutral first of all exists um during a deadlift second of all that it's any it does anything to reduce injury risk now if you want to tell me that maintaining your spine in a certain position is going to change your performance Yes, yes, because if you have your lumbar spine in maximal flexion, your paraspinals that are active insufficiency, they're probably not going to do as good of a job as you kept them in like a mid-range. Sure, I'd buy that. So if you tell me, hey, this is because we want to make your performance better so that you can lift more weight or you can do more reps without using as much effort, great, I'm all on board, but just don't. Don't try to extrapolate it to if you don't do it with our form, you're going to get injured because there is very little evidence 
to support that at all. And the evidence that is there is mostly terrible. It's mostly terrible, but we're both going to go join CrossFit boxes. I think that CrossFit is a good thing to do if you enjoy it because they are loading people. They are um, working on cardiovascular health, balance, stability, mobility, and strength, and nutrition. So they are doing everything you need for health and fitness. And if you don't want to do it for yourself and you want to pay somebody else to teach you how to do it, great. It seems to me like CrossFit is fine. And what we also were presented a lot on, because the there is a myth that CrossFitters get injured more than normal people, but they presented a lot of good data showing that the injury rate per contact hour is no higher than many other sports. And lower than running. It's lower than running, and people don't knock on running too And it looks much. like the longer you do CrossFit, the lower your injury yeah, that's true. Training out. age is protective in every sport. So yeah. that wasn't as significant of a finding as I would say, yes, the more you do something, the less like, you know, over time, the less likely you are to get injured doing that thing. Yeah. So that was all well and good. I enjoyed the CrossFit talk. It um, will be useful if when I'm do, working with those patients to have more of the lingo. I can wad and box and wad and box and thruster you can do like, a thruster yeah. thruster what is and so it's then, a it's a front squat to an overhead okay. press yeah. why do we have to call it a thruster less words to write on the marker board for the wad fine so we had a great lunch by the river walk and then we diverged for our last session of the day you want to tell us about yours first sure um I uh, went to when patients fail exercise, and it was about prescribing exercise for hypermobile, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and dysautonomia. So it was a great review of pathophysiology of the nine different types of VDS, and also POTS. And they really hammered home all of the different considerations you should make, um, not just from like an exercise prescription, but like ways that you can help with symptom modification. So giving your POTS patients uh, horizontal breaks um, for um, after 10 minutes of activity, um, how they can modify their sleeping position and their diet and, you know, just all these good bits of information about this. I, you know, I personally feel it can be a very challenging population because, you know, there are a lot of physios out there that, you know, just kind of buy into the, you can't go wrong getting strong. And like, yes, we do want to get EDS patients stronger, but there's kind of a lot of little stepping stones you have to, you know, do to get them to that point where they can actually load appropriate enough to get strong. Like there's, uh, you know, like making sure that. There was a good, you talked about like a progression yeah, so great, great progressions. Um, so for POTS, you know, doing the Levine protocol um, where you progress them from horizontal activities. Um, and with EDS, looking at different joint positions that you can put people in um, that maybe help with, you know, their joint subluxation that they're experiencing. So you talked about what? Anterior hip subluxation? Yeah, so an anterior like hips, put them in a long sitting position to do some of their exercises because it's going to, you know, reduce the likelihood that they're going to feel that instability to the front because you're, you've changed the mechanics of the hip. So a lot of 
lot of very concrete examples of exercises and recommendations. And I, and I do love that they just really kind of built up their, their mechanistic things from a pathophysiology standpoint and then gave some very good case examples, specific examples. It was a three o'clock Saturday session and the three presenters there were killing it. It was, it was very impressive. So I would definitely like to give a, a shout out to Leslie Russick, uh, Patricia Stott, and Heather Purden. They were a uh, killer. Awesome. Yeah. So I went to What is the Buzz All About? Marijuana Pharmacology for the Rehabilitation Specialist. The long story short is the presenters were not high on the current research in the area. I learned a lot, actually. So we so had an inter- fi- their findings were a bit dubious. A bit dubious. <laughs> That's right. A little hazy. Um, they in uh, in school in our curriculum we did have an introduction to uh, medical marijuana use, with the idea being that we could see patients uh, in our practice who are using medicinal marijuana to deal with things like chronic pain or anxiety or PTSD and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And this talk went into a little more of the basic science behind uh, endocannabinoids and specifically CBD, right? And then THC. And those are probably the two most well-known active um, components of the cannabis plant that are used in medical pharmacology. Is that the sticky part or the icky part? (laughs) The sticky and the icky part, right? (laughs) So hemp is a cannabis plant that has, I believe, less than... 0.03% of THC in it, and anything higher than that is considered uh, marijuana. And marijuana... Throw me a rope here. What does uh, does hemp look like? (laughs) Hemp is used for many different things. It was outlawed at one point, but then during World War II, it was reinstated as legal so they could make products out of it. Um, THC content in marijuana on average is about 12 percent they showed a graph that we had actually seen in grad school as well is that over the last 50 years the percentage of thc in marijuana plants has climbed as growers have gotten better at their um, techniques and what type of soil and water and all this type um, up to now where you can find some plants that have up to 80 percent thc in them which is a lot and the thought behind that and why they brought that out is that the regulation of the use of marijuana, especially with THC, is important because off the street or if you're buying something that's not regulated, you don't actually know how much THC you're going to get in the plant. And the uh, quantification of THC per unit of marijuana is known as dankness. Is that (laughs) the dankness? Um, So the dankness of the plant is not known if it's not regulated. Um, And then the other things they went into, which I found really interesting and I have to review, um, is the uses or proposed uses for CBD and the proposed uses for THC. Um, They showed some data about patients who were using either CBD or medical marijuana um, to help deal with some conditions. And uh, a lot of these patients um, in their studies were using CBD not prescribed by a physician and just in using it for the wrong thing. So the 
the thing that you should have been using THC for, they were taking CBD oil when the CBD actually doesn't interact with that pathway. And then the thing that they should have been using CBD for, they were actually using THC. Um, and just really going into a lot of mismanagement and misinformation mm. around things right now. Maybe they need a little TLC. <laughs> a little TLC. And then within that as well, um, a few case, case studies, which were all uh, negative really with the use of um, medical marijuana or CBD oils. There are some um, hepatotoxicity uh, issues with CBD that aren't talked about. And, you know, in the popular, um, I would say, commercialized CBD oils right now, I mean, they, they're a cure-all, right? They're a snake oil. They can do everything, and that's not the case. And then also, there's a really a large issue with the product actually um, being what it claims to be. There's actually three different categories of CBD. CBD that does still have a little bit of THC and some other additional endocannabinoids that is supposed to help kind of do this like blanket treatment and work together to create a better cascade effect. There's also some that just have just purely CBD. But when you're looking at the labels in these products, they'll claim to be different things. They, the presenters were saying that some products claim to be one thing and there's something else. So, so the, these sellers are just blowing smoke. They're just blowing smoke. Um, and that was something else interesting that was brought up in a, the question and answer session was some um, therapists who had patients who had like eaten an edible and they didn't really have much of an effect from it. But then when they smoked um, the marijuana, they had a big difference in how they felt. Um, and it was talked about or discussed that the uptake of the compounds, THC, CBD, is a lot quicker and um, more likely to give you that sense of euphoria if you smoke the, uh, the product. Um, and on the other side of things, if you, the edible um, product, because of the slower release through the stomach, you don't get that euphoric feeling as um, it's not as heightened and so there's some thought that that would be better if you were going to try to reduce the risk of a patient becoming quote-unquote addicted to it or feeling like they needed it because there was a I could go for a brownie you could go for a brownie right now <laughs> so one of the case studies they uh, provided was a patient who was uh, had back surgery um, had persistent pain was on narcotics had then started using alcohol as another way to help manage their pain. Their doctor recommended that they get on uh, medical marijuana to try to get them off of the narcotics. They got on the medical marijuana, but were still weaning off the narcotics, but weren't off of them and were still using alcohol. And then went to a, a college football game in California where then they bought over the counter edibles and like home remedies things and basically created this substance abuse storm um, and the use of the medical marijuana did not help them wean off of anything it just added another substance that they were using uh, for pain and that was the high the, the reason they brought that story up was just understanding you know when is it appropriate what type of patient is appropriate to introduce something like this to and is it really a good option for um, narcotics is right now the push with medical marijuana is that it could be a good substitute for opioids 
um, and their side effects. And, and really from the research and what they're saying is like, we just don't know enough right now. And from what we do know, maybe it could have less, less bad effects, but we don't really know. And as a PT, their recommendation was if it's your professional license on the line that you should not recommend the use of it or CBD oils or any of these things. It's that there's just not enough information known. There's some good uh, ideas and hypothesis and there's some promise to some of the product. They were, I think, positive in that manner. But from just the overall ethic or what we know about it, it's just we don't know enough to prescribe it or to recommend it, I guess, because it's outside of our scope of practice to prescribe. But just to be aware that patients are using it uh, and that they're probably using it inappropriately and the things that they're using probably aren't meant to treat what they're treating it with. Um, so being able to have those conversations when your, pa when your patient asks, hey, should I use this CBD topical on my knee? Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a better answer for them as to, hey, maybe why this is why you shouldn't try this at this point. Right. So the decision for a patient to use medical marijuana or not should be a joint effort between the uh, physician, the patient, and maybe physical Maybe the physical therapist. Hopefully you're the person that they feel comfortable asking about, hey, I bought this, this stuff off Amazon for my knee. You know, what do you think about it? Or my, you know, my aunt told me I should start taking CBD drops under my tongue. It's going to help with my pain. What do you think about it? Um, and being able, instead of saying like, well, I don't know, having some scientific research and background to the answer you're going to give. And they did a really good job of providing a lot of information on that. Okay. So we uh, finished up the last session. We went for a nice little six-mile trot around uh, downtown San Antonio. Got to see some beautiful areas, some architecture, some a lot of construction. A lot of construction. Lot of construction. We ran by some really like neat food trucks and yeah. foods and good smells. Yep. Um, and then we rushed back to the hotel so that we could give you guys – our final thoughts on CSM 2022, San Antonio Part 2, the great roundup. The great roundup. Matt, what will you be taking away? What is your take-home point? What, is, what, is, what, will the, what will going to CSM bring to your practice for the next year? For the next year, just another reminder that you need to surround yourself with people in your practice and in your support system that push you to always better your practice, always be learning more. Um, as it's been said before, don't try to be, don't be the smartest person in the room and coming to CSM every year makes me know for sure. I'm not the smartest person in the room and get to learn from just some brilliant physical therapists, people who are passionate about the profession and who are trying to push the profession forward in both knowledge and practice for not only their patients, but I think for us, their colleagues in general. So that's something over the next year that I hope to improve in my practice and help in my clinic 
and also um, gives me a little inspiration of trying to get back into some of those ideas of research and other ways to contribute to the profession, right? And not just to my patients, but how can I do more, be involved in the APTA in a way that helps other clinicians like the clinicians here have helped me. Mm -hmm. That sounds really good. Um, because we are on the fence physio and our premise is to talk about both sides of the story, when might not going to CSM be the right choice? And I would say that if you are in a really tough financial spot, CSM can be more affordable for students. They have a reduced rate. And for new grads, as long as you're an APTA member, you're on a uh, slowly increasing rate. Um, yeah, we're old now. I think. We're old now. We're past that. We're paying, we're paying full, full price. Full price. Um, but if you're in a spot where financially it's just not going to be a, you know, a way for you to spend your money, the virtual version of APTA CSM, which may be hanging around, um, for the future, anywhere, I don't yeah. think it's going anywhere. Is uh, more affordable, and you get um, similar access to great content. Um, if you know the traveling would be a little too tough on your family, you know, just being away. If you're, um, you have children, you have other family members that just have need need of you to be home. Like being away for four days, you know, five days maybe can be tough. So. Maybe again the virtual option being a good backup plan, or you know, waiting till next year. Uh, but if you are dealing with burnout, if you are dealing with uh, being stuck in a rut in PT, and you're really feeling unmotivated, and uh, you've lost some of your passion, which I can say that I've I've struggled with that from time to time. Coming to CSM reminds me that this field is pretty awesome. And while I definitely complain from time to time about things that we don't do as well in physical therapy uh, as a profession, there are a lot of people that are making positive changes in the field. And it really just gets me pumped to uh, go back to work for the next year and try to make some of the changes that I know will be helpful, not only for me and for my coworkers, but for my patients and their outcomes. And I really think that uh, if you have the opportunity to go to CSM, whether you're a first year PT student, whether you're 10 years, 20 years out of practice, 20 years out of practice, probably not listening to us <laughs> anymore. Um, please give it a shot. And uh, next year, 2023, will be in San Diego, California. Sunny San Diego by the ocean. supposed to be one of the nicest climates in the U.S. So we uh, hope to see you there. Um, we hope to still be uh, recording episodes. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully uh, locking down on another great CSM APTA presentation. And just remember that when it comes to physical therapy, it is okay. <laughs> <laughs>